welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again, and today we're starting a new series, a Charles pick, which I maybe fell in love with at least the first book, which is dealing with dragons and Patricia Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. I really love these books as a kid. My sister and I have both read each book a couple times, and I'm really excited to revisit them because they feel like a big hug of nostalgia for me. They're very fantasy. And they are, I think, on the younger side of what we read in the show. But I feel like we've had a pretty good mix of younger. Like, I don't feel like... So, whatever, basically. Asia's the newcomer, so she's going to provide a summary in a second. But I just want to intro the series a little more. Though there's not actually a lot to say. These books were written by Patricia Reed in the 1990s, actually. I don't know why I thought they were newer than that, but they're from the 90s. And the last book was actually released first. But in the sequence that takes place last, and it was edited and re-released after the first three came out later. So now it works as a set and was republished, basically. The books were successful, and they were widely translated. They won some awards, like an NPR Young Adult Literature Prize, but nothing insane, like super famous, like a Pulitzer, Kiplinger, Booker Award, etc. Her other books were similarly successful, but The Enchanted Forest is definitely the most popular. Reed has said that she would like to write at least one more fifth book in the series when her other contracts are done, but personally, I'm not really holding my breath since the last book was re-released in 1995, which is before we were both born, so quite a long time ago. Yeah, that is a long time ago. I mean, I guess she could come back to it, but at this point, it's been almost, what, 30 years coming up on. Yeah, coming up on 30 years. So yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and dive into the summary then. So we are following the princess Simmerine, who is a rebel and doesn't like to do the conventional princess things. She eventually volunteers to become the princess of a dragon, Kazul, and she starts causing all sorts of mayhem and mischief as she does not follow any rules or conventions of behavior. She discovers a plot by the wizards to take control of the enchanted forest by killing the king of the dragons and then rigging the election of the next dragon king. But Cimmerine is able to foil the second half of the plan, and Kazul becomes the new king of the dragons. And that was pretty much the whole first book, and it appears that Cimmerine will, Cimmerine will stay Kazul's princess for the next book. So just going into my impression of the first book, I did like it, but it was mainly because of Cimmerine's character. I just think she's a nice, strong female character, and she just had a really interesting personality I feel like it was just great to read about her which that kind of helped me overlook some of the ridiculous fantasy stuff that I normally don't like so overall I say I liked it it is young but as like we do cover like young books so like that wasn't really an issue but I was honestly surprised at how much I enjoyed it it didn't take me that long to read it yeah and Samarine is funny like I think that's one thing I forget about it the books until I read it is that Like, she's, like, kind of, like, a funny character. Like, she says funny things. Yeah. And she's got dry humor. Anyway. So my impression was that it really is tropey. 
but it's also self-aware of the tropes. Like, I feel like it's kind of like laughing at fantasy tropes, like all the discussions of like oh, princes and like, this is the quest they should follow and how silly of them not to follow the quest. And like, I do feel like it's self-aware, but it's kind of cutesy. So I'm like, how can you not love that? But it does, it does, again, makes it feel young. But I always, like, I still felt it. I'm like, I would be transported into that world. Like, that's a world I want to be in. But I always feel that way with fantasy. I'm like, I want magic. Anyway, let's dive in. So, like you said, we meet Samarine, and she's kind of, this is what I'm saying, she's the trope of a feminist princess. Like, she doesn't care about gender role. She wants to fight. She wants to have practical skills. She's a brunette. Like, that's like, you know, it's kind of playing up on like, that's, she's groundbreaking. But I'm like, that's not really groundbreaking. Because even in the 90s, when this was written, there was a newer age of feminism where like, obviously people don't have to grow up to be princesses. Yeah, I think that it def- she definitely had the trope, but I kind of appreciated it, especially because this is like, a children's book like I feel like this would be a good just like example of even if it's not groundbreaking it's still just nice to see kind of like a funny like independent female character who's like kind of rejecting traditional like her traditional princess role I think that's totally valid I agree with that so as I said I did like Simarina a lot and even though it is a trope it's better than having a pathetic character um, it's better than having a pathetic character like in Ingar <laughs> with Mo. I hate Mo. Anyway, but yeah, Simmerine basically is holding up the entire plot, at least for me. And it kind of helped me ignore like some of the magic things that. Yeah. And in a lot of the recent books we've read, there have been female protagonists, but they've been kind of passive. Like, not that they're dislikable, but they're not necessarily enjoyable. I mean, we just came off reading the Match trilogy, and we said that Kasha really didn't have an interesting arc until, like, the first half of the third book. And you think of, like, Triss in Divergent. Like, she's a very passive character, I think. Um, I don't know if I would say Triss is passive. I'm also thinking more so... Those books are also different because I was more interested in the story. I mean, Divergent less so as we got further into it. But I'm thinking, like, in comparison to Narnia, which, like, I really didn't like reading, was because, and I we talked about this a little bit, I think, for the fantasy things, why it kind of doesn't always work for me is because I feel like I really enjoy stories when the characters are really interesting. And at least in Narnia, we didn't really follow the same characters throughout the whole series. We There was, like, a couple books where characters were in multiple books but it still didn't feel like we were watching like one set of characters grow from beginning to end it was like we were kind of honing in on certain parts of like the story as a whole which for me is just something I personally like don't enjoy as much so with this book even though yes it's fantasy it has magic has dragons and wizards we were focusing on pretty much a singular character and we were able to like follow this journey of hers so I was able to enjoy it more I mean the same thing for like when we read His Dark Materials, like, how that was about Lyra, like, and I still didn't enjoy that one as much either, but, like, it was still nice to, like, see her story develop, like, following kind of one person or, like, a group of people. Well, we are going to follow Simmerine for all four books, so that will also probably help you enjoy it, because it is definitely, like, 
Simmerine's story. Anyway, I'm glad that you're enjoying it so far, and I, uh, I agree with you that like it is much better to have a stereotype or a trope that's a good stereotype or trope and is a good portrayal for younger readers. So this is like Simmerine being funny. Like she's betrothed to a boring prince and she just walks away. She literally is like, okay, bye. She listens to a magic toad, walks away. And then it felt very much like if you've seen Shits Creek, Alexis, you know, famous for saying, I love that journey for you. <laughs> like it felt like that. Simmerine's just like, I don't want to marry him. Love that journey for you. Bye-bye. And then she promptly offers to become a dragon's princess instead, specifically to the female dragon, Kazool. And I like that being a dragon princess for her was basically like her going out and getting a job because she has responsibility and assignments and work. And I guess, unlike in slavery, she's kind of getting paid because she's getting a bunch of like potential suitors because knights are coming to try to save her, or I guess princes in in a knight armor are coming to try to save her from the dragon so like that could lead to a better marriage because she specifically didn't want to marry this particular prince i think his name was like farindel or something because he just like seemed kind of boring and like she didn't have anything in common with him yeah like i don't think it's a currency you or i would choose but like i agree like it's and it sounds like the expectations of a princess as a of a dragon's princess are they're varied, and she kind of gets, like, single-handedly run this household, like, for this dragon. Like, she's obviously cooking and cleaning, yeah. But she also gets to, like, sort through the treasure and read all the books and play with magic. Like, she has a lot of agency. At, like, she kind of just gets to go. I mean, she has a special relationship with Kazool, obviously. But she just, like, leaves the cave, goes off, goes to hang out with her friends, you know, does her, like, magic stuff. Like, it definitely feels better to me than, like... Just sitting around. Constantly, like, well, yeah, I feel like, like you said, it gives her agency. It gives her the freedom to not only, yes, she has to, quote-unquote, work by, you know, cooking and cleaning and managing the household. But those are also, like, really essential skills, like being able to cook and clean. Like, unless you're a princess or something where someone's doing that for you, like, those are skills that everyone should know how to do. And she even says, like, she wanted to learn how to do those things and it also allows her to learn about other stuff, like she's able to practice her Latin and read books and practice magic, things that, like, she would not be allowed to do as a princess where all she's expected is, like, basically to sit around and, like, look pretty and be bossed around and eventually get married off so that from her parents bossing her around to her husband bossing her around. So, yeah, doesn't really seem like that great of an existence. <laughs> so I could see why she would want something different. And then for some world building, we meet Zeminar, who's the head wizard of the Society of Wizards. And it turns out that wizards are basically evil in this series. They're the enemy. They're the historic enemies of the dragons, and dragons are actually allergic to wizard staffs. And the wizards seem to be encroaching upon, this is where it gets so fantasy, the caves of fire and night, which belong to the dragons. They're, you know, basically trying to get into the caves. Which, speaking of the caves, Simmerine takes a pebble from the caves, and I wrote down that I was worried that by her taking, like, it's the king's cave, it's like the specific cave where this rock came from that basically 
how the dragons pick their new dragon king is like whoever can carry this magical rock like from one place all the way to the other it's like really hard like basically you have to be like chosen like the rock chooses you so she picks up a little pebble from this same cave as her and Kazula are like passing through it to go somewhere and I was just like oh I feel like that's important that she like picked that up like I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. I was leaning more towards bad because why is she stealing something from somewhere? But it ended up being the opposite. But I just took note of it. Good. It's important to take note of those details, especially in fantasy. I feel like all these things like really matter in a new way. Yeah. I mean, I guess in all good writing, like everything should matter. Or But I mean definitely matters in this book and they meet some other annoying princesses who are mostly annoying and vapid but one of them is okay her name is Eleonora and so she and Samarine are gonna be friends and they work together and they actually complete the fireproofing spell which I thought was I've always thought that was dope like Samarine really wants to be fireproof because she's like these dragons you know they could toast me at any moment and she goes out of her way to get the ingredients she figures it out and I just like Good character. Samarine's a good character. And then the plot really starts to pick up because the wizards are investigating the caves and they actually get their hands on dragon's pain, which is poisonous to dragons and can literally kill them. And they end up using it to kill the dragon king. And that explains why they wanted to know about the cave so that they could get their hands on it. And so that they get their hands on the dragon's bane and that they would know exactly like how the dragons pick a new dragon king so that they can control that so that they can pick like who's going to be the new dragon king so they can like gain control and i'm honestly was like embarrassed at how much i was enjoying this plot point <laughs> because you know i love like a good reveal or like a plot twist and we find this out because the Stone Prince, who I'll explain who that is in a minute, but he overhears Warhog, which is one of the other dragons, and he's talking to two bad wizards, and he basically learns about what their plan is of they're going to cast a spell on the King's Rock so that Warhog is able to like fly the full distance, even though he hasn't been like officially chosen, so that he'll become the new Dragon King, and then the wizards can like blackmail him and control him. So... I don't know, I just thought that was, like, a really great reveal, like, this, the conspiring, like, I wasn't necessarily, like, the whole book, you're like, what are the wizards up to, like, what's going on, so I felt like the reveal was well done. Yeah, the double cross is excellent, and yeah, let's talk about the Stone Prince. So, the Stone Prince is basically somebody that Cimmerine comes across as she's, like, rushing to warn one of the other dragons because Kazul got hurt by like a little whiff of the wolf spain but she ended up being okay but Cimmerine finds him in the caves he's basically earlier on when Kazul and Cimmerine were walking through there's like this specific cave that's like you're supposed to like get I think it's like magical water or something. It's some quest. And basically you're, you have two choices and on the quest, they tell you which one to pick, but of course men are stupid. They do the wrong one and then they get turned into a, like a slab of stone. 
and they have to wait until a prince eventually does the quest correctly, and then they'll be freed from their, like, stone trap, I guess. But so this, the stone prince, he went in, and again, stupid, goes to the wrong thing, even though he knows he's supposed to go to the other one, and he just picks it up, like, he just was looking at the water, whatever it is, and he immediately starts turning to stone, so he runs over to the other thing and, like, touches it and, like, puts his arm in the water. So he doesn't, he turns to stone, but he's still, like, a person. Like, he can move. So he's, like, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of, seen <laughs> like, that Fantastic Four movie, like, how that one guy is, like, made of stone. Like, that's what I imagine him looking at, like, but, like, gray. So, honestly, yes. looking rough, basically. But I always imagined him kind of looking like a, like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, except rock. But like that color. I think and he like would be shape. like bulky, though, like if he's made of rock. I guess. I mean, I think that both are kind of, we're very close to describing the same thing. I was thinking yes, Tin Man because yeah. of the color and the stiffness. Yes. But so he's this prince made of stone and... Yeah, so Cimmerine, like, finds him there, and she, like, unlocks him from, like, this gate. So she, like, puts him in the banquet hall, which is why he ends up overhearing this conversation, because when he rolls up into a ball, he just looks like a rock sitting there. So they don't, they didn't notice him. That's pretty funny. But that's basically what we get of the Stone Prince so far. And since we were talking about what comes next in the plot, we should probably mention, and I'm like, this is one of those moments, we always talk about them, where I know both of us definitely wrote a note down. Like, as I'm writing the note, I'm like, I know Asia's going to have written this. That the king of the dragons is actually always a king. As in, the sex or gender of the dragon doesn't matter. Like, it could be a male or a female dragon. They'll still be the king. Because king is, like, a responsibility. It's a job. And the most qualified dragon becomes the king. It's just a job. and not like a title and I just thought it's very cute and again it's kind of like tropey to be like we're breaking this sort of like ridiculous misogynistic system and I thought it was adorable and I was like I'm sure Asia wrote this down too and I did I did also write it down I did think that that was cool and definitely something I've never seen before I mean in any of the other books so I thought that was cool to have that included and relevant because when they said that all of the dragons had to participate in the trials, I knew that Kazool was going to become the new Dragon King. And she does. So I was right. I mean, I felt like it was a little obvious. Kazool was like poisoned and she's like, I got to go. I got to, I have to, I have to, you know, do my duty. Fly this rock. <laughs> anyway, this... Actually, luckily, this is only able to happen because Cimmerine, Alianora, Morwen the witch, who's, like, their friend. We haven't talked about her, but she's there. And the Stone Prince. And they figure out that if they pour, like... <laughs> I'm sorry. In the in the outline, it says more in the kitchen. And that's why I was... When I was reading over the outline earlier, I was like, I don't know what that typo is, but I can't wait to see when he reads it, because Charles always has so many typos in his section, and I have no idea what he's saying, because Charles writes the outline, because I always have to fix mine, because obviously, since he wrote it, I don't always know what he's saying. If he puts more in the kitchen, I don't know what that means. Maybe he was trying to make a reference to something, but he just so easily is like, it's more in the witch. Like, that's what he meant, but... 
I guess you just knew that in your brain. You just see I, the I word and you're like, oh, right I know is. what the right thing is. Anyway, this crew figures out that wizards, because they're dirty, they can be melted down temporarily by pouring soapy water on them. And the the crew basically, like, they go to where the wizards are, they pour water on them. And this is the grossest part of the book. Because it happens all the time in the next books as well. Like, they just, like, melt down into puddles of, like, soap and, like, colorful robes. And I'm like, this is so gross. Why is it gross? It's soapy water. It's literally clean. But, like, like I just imagine, you- like, a little bit of, like, like, it's thicker because it's, like, human. Oh, God. I think that they just, like, dissolve into nothing. Like, they become one with the soapy water. That's probably what she was envisioning when she wrote it, but to and me it always felt like... like, human flesh being boiled? Like, that's disgusting. What's wrong yes. with you? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I always thought it was gross. Also, it's, like, a callback to... Isn't that, like, the Wizard of Oz, like, when they melt the witch with water? Yes, they even make a joke about it because they're, like, you can't melt... You'll melt our witch. You'll melt your own witch, and... The Stone Prince figures out that he can make Mormon wet because he's like, no one who lives in a clean house would be melted by soapy water. And she's like, (laughs) good point. Good living. And I was like, oh, she says clean living. Clean living. And, you know, it works out. But they are able to foil the plot. Warhog is arrested. And now Samarina is going to be the princess of the Dragon King Kazool. And that's pretty much the whole book, but I was just left with two questions at the end, which is, my first question was, the Stone Prince, like, is he ever going to be recovered from becoming, from being stone? Because he says something like, oh, he's just got to wait for, like, the next prince to come. Like, as we said, when the the prince comes and does the quest correctly, all of the princes who are stone will be, like, freed from their curse so he's he just have to wait for that but this was kind of actually answered at the very end because more in the kitchen the stone prince and the stone prince and alianora like decided they're gonna get married like even though they've known each other for what two days they said okay we're getting married we know each other for fully an hour so under 24 hours they're like let's get married one hour one hour Oh, gosh, you're right. Yeah, only one hour. I guess I was thinking Simarine knew him for maybe, like, six hours. No, maybe only, like, two, because she only interacted with him for, like, 20 minutes, and then... But she left him overnight. Remember, she forgets about him. So, 18 hours, technically, of knowing this man. But, anyway, Eleanor and him are getting married, and Eleanor says that Morwen the witch says that she's going to work on a spell, or, like, she has a spell that she thinks will work that can turn him back into a normal person. Well, I can tell you without, I don't feel like this is a spoiler. Also, these books came out in the 90s, so doesn't really feel like spoiling. No, no spoilers, no comments. Moving on. My second okay. question is that they, well, I had a question afterwards because also in this book, this children's book, they made a sex joke they sure at the did. very end. They sure did. About the stone prince needing to not be stone because Eleonora is like, oh, like, that's not advantageous of you to be stone. Like, how will you change your clothes? Like, that wasn't subtle also, at all. Like, okay, okay, Eleanor, this man you just met trying to get his clothes, his stone well, also, clothes even off. Also, she says something like, 
and for other things, and she blushes and giggles, and I'm like, uh, what other things? Her and Sonorine start giggling like little girls. Inappropriate. I don't know. I just thought that was really funny because it was like super obvious. That was for and us. And then, but she this question, the I was like, for us. But for this, like, my main question after all this, I was like, are we going to get a name for the Stone Prince? He's only ever been referenced as a Stone Prince. And, like, apparently Eleonora is going to marry him for knowing him for an hour, and she doesn't even know his name. Well, again, I don't feel like this is a spoiler, but he does have a name, and we will get it eventually. I sure hope so. Can you imagine your marriage license just says, Eleonora, princess of the Duchy on Nile, or whatever it's called. Married to the Stone Prince. And the Stone Prince. (laughs) The Stone Prince, the one and only. Sorry, y'all. We have been trying so... There has to be, like, there's something going on. There's, like, ambulances. Yeah. Fire trucks. For context, again, if this is your first time tuning in, Asia and I live in New York City, and we record from our apartment, and we do as much as we can to keep the audio as nice as possible for you. And we try to stop talking when there are sirens or noises or whatever. And we've, however long this episode ends up being, know that we probably recorded for at least twice as long because we had to keep pausing. And if there's weird jump cuts, that's why. And if there is a lot of background noise in this episode, it has nothing to do with Asia's editing. It has to do with the fact that there was a, like, we literally got up to check out the window to see if there was a fire. There's a disaster going on, clearly. What? Nearby. I said there must be a disaster going on well, nearby. Or on, we're on the way. We do live at the intersection of two major streets, so it is understandable, but it's not normally this bad. So I just felt like we needed to say that because, you know, we wanna, we're going to salvage as much of this audio as we can, but there's only so much we can do. Anyway, we'll hope there are more sex jokes in the next book. Do you have anything else that... I hope there are oh. not. Did you I say hope there you are. Hope? I hope there are not. This, this is a children's book. But it's book. like for but us now. Anyway. Like, I want the entertainment. I guess. Well. Anyway, anything else you have before we finish up? All I was thinking, like, at the end when, we've, when I finished the book was, I overall, like I said, I thought it was a cute book with a decent plot mainly Cimmerine was the driving factor to enjoy it but personally I was like I think the only way I will continue to enjoy this series if there's romance in it if if there's like some sort of romance like Cimmerine actually finds like a prince who like challenges her and like accepts her as who she is and like lets her keep her dragon like she gets to keep her relationship with the dragons like I don't know to me that would be like I mean, this is a kid's story, so that's some high expectations for that. But that is how, if I could pick how the books were going to go, that is what I would want. So that is not necessarily a prediction, but I'm saying if that's what's going to happen, I will most likely enjoy the story. If that's not, I don't know what's going to happen. Charles is making a face because he's terrible, so he's spoiling the whole story. So apparently that's what's going to happen, so I guess I have that to look forward to. Charles but, isn't spoiling anything. I was also going to say, did Cimmerine and Eleonora give you, like, Anna and Elsa vibes at all? Not really, because I'm not a Disney adult. But 
if I I am not a Disney adult, but I do that is a lie. Love Disney, but I'm not like crazy. Okay, I've never been to Disney once. Asia goes like 15 times a year. That's not true. Don't you have a lifetime? Charles pass? has not had the privilege of going to Disneyland or Disney World or wherever, but he will one day. But I don't know. I was just thinking about She's it. She's like definitely how, like Elsa. Simmerine is Elsa. Yeah, for sure. Like. Simmerine is Elsa. She's strong, independent, just like has so life intelligent. skills. And on, then Anna Eleonora is, was also like, is also like smart, but like how she like falls in love. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. We finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I was gonna say. You know, I'm net. Oh, and who's the Disney adult now? I mean, you can't deny that the Frozen soundtracks, especially Frozen Two, is a bop. So anyway, but I was just like at the end, I was like, "This is giving this me is like when we, frozen, this is when like, our podcast becomes kind of show yourself ASMR." Stop. Show yourself. Show yourself. Was that good ASMR? I don't know. Anyway, I'm obviously not going to tell you what happens in the next book, but we'll keep reading then. Well, I was just going to say, too, it reminds me of, because His Dark Materials, I also really enjoyed that because of the, like, romance at the end. Like, it was so, I mean, except for the... Heartbreak ending? absolute awful ending, the heartbreaking ending. It was an incredible ending. ending. what was that? It was just heartbreaking. It was horrible. I almost forgot about that, because the romance, I, like, really enjoyed it, but how it ended, if you haven't listened to those episodes... I'm so sorry. It was a horrible ending. It, it was, was so, so sad. sad. Also, HBO just released a trailer, and the the final season is coming out in December, and I am so ready for the tears. Oh yeah, we still have to watch that. We have so many. We, we still so haven't even finished we, the final Maze Runner movie. The Maze Runner. Did we watch the the first two? We watched movies? the first two. Oh yeah, because the second movie was like. Second movie for the Maze Runner was like nothing like the book. I feel like like they changed so much. Well, also the problem with I mean, listen to our Maze Runner episodes, but the problem is that like with the book, we literally didn't know what was going on because you're like, how much of this is being controlled by Wicked? Like by the second book, you're like, you're re- every sentence we read, we were like, is this a lie? Is this part of the test? Is this part of the simulation? Like it was all. It was too big, like it was too meta to like you couldn't trust anything you read, which made it very confusing. And I feel like in the movie it was like much more clear and it was fine, but it was like it was very different because we were stumbling through the Scorch trials as readers. We were like, What's going on? No idea. So confused. And the movie they're like, here's Wicked, here's the hot teenager, you know, blah, blah, blah. All I know is we have to finish watching the Maze Runner movies so that we can watch Divergent because I really need a good laugh. Like, I really need <laughs> to watch the second two movies and just laugh. Like, it's going to be so awful, but, well, like, then, I need that in my life. Well, then let's wrap up this episode so we can start reading, and then once we've gotten ahead of our, our reading, we can watch movies. That's never going to happen. Okay. <laughs> good point. Not when we're reading a book a week. Too much. These are short. But I'm assuming the next three books are going to be a little bit longer. You've seen the books. They're all put in the same box set. Yeah, well, the font's probably smaller then. (laughs) 
I'm just making up excuses. You anyway, are. N- next week we'll be reading Searching for Dragons. So if you read along, you can go ahead and finish that book for next week. And if you have predictions, theories, questions, remember you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at joinnerdparty or Instagram at the Nerd Party or facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. And to find me, I'm at Shells on Instagram. And again, we apologize for the crappy audio this week. And I'm at Asia Bonia on TikTok and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. But as always, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit the subscribe button. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.